Good morning. How's it going? Yeah. Oh, I feel strong. I feel loud. I mean, I am strong and loud. Whether they, those things are generally true, but I feel like I'm coming in hot. That's all right. Well, if you're new here or if you're uh, if you're new in uh, Faith Fellowship, welcome. Good morning. We're glad to have you. I am uh, James Fife. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown. So if you're a member of Midtown, uh, welcome. I'm glad to have you. I'm one of your pastors. Uh, and I hang out here uh, in Faith Fellowship. We do on Second Sundays a Psalm Sunday, which is uh, a focus that puts us into the Psalms. And if you've been around, you know we worked our way through Psalm 119. And then uh, last month, I started us on a series in the Maskell Psalms. Now, if that word doesn't make any sense to you, you just got to go back and listen to uh, the audio from last month, and that'll fill you in. Uh, and you don't necessarily need that to jump in today. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 42, uh, but last month, we'll give you kind of an intro into what a Maskell Psalm is. Now, I'm going to take a minute to intro this psalm. And then Rosie's going to get set up because she's going to sing. You might also remember that she's writing a song that corresponds with each of these psalms as we work our way through them. So uh, I'm going to bring her up in the beginning, and then we'll actually dive in and dissect what's going on in this psalm. But let me pray for us, and we'll read this psalm together, and I'll make a couple comments, and then I'll give it to Rosie, and then I'll come back. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to open your word and uh, to hear what you have to say. God, we thank you that uh, you gave us instruction from your word and instruction that still matters today. God, that your word is eternal. We thank you that we can read it, that we can hear it, or that we can sing it uh, and be blessed and encouraged by the singing uh, of your word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to Psalms 42. I'm going to read it. Just so we can get it fresh in our minds, I want you to just follow along with me. And we'll start even with the introduction here. It says, to the chief musician, Maskil, for the sons of Korah. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for thee, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, and of the Hermonites and the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer uh, unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forsaken me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Now, as you 
read through that psalm, one thing I want you to take note of and just think about uh, are the number of questions that appear in the psalm. There's a bunch that are being asked by David. There are a bunch that David says are being asked by his enemies against him as well. So there's a lot of questions and they kind of help to frame this psalm. I'll give you a quick rundown. Verses one through four function like an introduction. Uh, and, and David begins by talking about his soul and how his, his soul thirsts. He's got this thirsting soul in the beginning of this uh, chapter. He talks about in verse one, how it pants. In verse two, how it thirsts. And in verse four, how he then pours out his soul. So the reality and, uh, and desperation of his soul. And then you get verses five through 11, which are really the main body of the text using those first few verses to set it up. You also see the way that it, that it kind of plays between the soul and the, and the flesh, the soul and the flesh. And you get this working back and forth all the way through the psalm of what's going on in the soul and what's going on uh, with his flesh as well. Verse three, you even see that in the intro. The intro kind of really models for us the whole rest of the chapter. So he talks about his soul, but then verse three, he shifts and he's talking about his flesh. He talks about how his, his tears feed him uh, night and day. Uh, and so there's this play between what's going on on the inside and what's going on on the outside and how those things can, can become reality and affect reality. And so we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. With that as, as a little introduction, we're going to have some singing and then I'll come back. Okay, so that was it. That was the, whole, the chapter. I don't even have to preach anymore. <laughs> you just heard it. That's how it goes. Uh, praise the Lord. Let me get this thing turned back on and get what I need. All right, can we get the, the PowerPoint rolling as well? Do we have that back there, guys? Rock and roll. Okay. All right, so we got uh, we got introduced to it. So let's just dive in here. So in the first, in the introduction, in the first few verses, you get the, the psalmist declaring his foundational desire. All right, and this is the first thing we need to see. And this is a, 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 a critical concept, a critical question that we all have to face. What is the foundational, the primary, what is the one thing that my heart desires? What is it that I want? Because God tells us in his word that we can have uh, only one affection. To set your affection, and it's singular, on things above. You get one thing that commands and demands that your heart and your attention and your time and your worship, and everything else. And what the psalmist says is, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, he lets you know, the, the deer, the heart, that animal, what it really wants is water. But here's what I really want. It's the bee. My soul, it pants after thee, O God. In verse 2, my, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And he leaves it right there. It's quite simply that he says the one thing that his heart desires, and it's not like all of the character of God. It's not an attribute of God. It's not an aspect of God. It's not what God can do for him and struggle. It's not what God can give to him. It's just God. It's his person. It's his presence. And so really the one key, the heart's desire that is, that is being cried out is the presence of God. Lord, what I need more than anything else, what I wake up and thirst after, you realize how strong a language that is, right? Like if you don't deal with your thirst, you die. That's, that's a life or death situation eventually. 
You know, you got to get water in you regularly. And what this, what the psalmist is saying is that the, the presence, the very person of God is enough. Is the presence, the person of God himself, just to be in his presence? Is that your heart's desire? Is that your panting? Is that your longing? Is that the thing that you are thirsting for? Now, if you ever travel, if you've got family and you, and you travel and you have to be away for a little while, maybe you start to feel like, man, I really wish I could be back with my, my spouse or my kids. You know, you ever get that longing, that feeling like, if I could just hang out with, with my wife, you know, you go away on a mission trip, you're gone for three or four days or one or two days, or maybe for some of you, it takes like weeks before you feel that way. I don't know. But hopefully, eventually, you're like, and you're like, well, what about her? You're like, nothing in particular. Like, if we could, just, if I could just be with her, like, that's my person, right? If we could just, if I could just hang out with, we would just chill. We just sit. We'd probably chat, you know, this and that, but it's not like I need anything in particular. I don't need her to, to iron my clothes. I don't need her to, you know, to do something around. I don't need her to necessarily to entertain me. It's like, I don't need her to show up and play me a song. What if we just, I just want to be in her presence. Maybe you feel more that way about your, your spouse and your kids. Like you can go a long time and be like, man, this is nice. Not having those kids around. Before you start thinking, oh, all right, maybe I should maybe I should hang out with those kids again, right? So that's a that you get that you get that same type of idea, you know, when you when you have somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, somebody that you want to be around. Well, that's how God should be in our lives. We're going to be giving praise, and we're going to up over here, and and you can write characters of God, you can write aspects of who He is, you can write specific thank yous, and we should. We need to be good at giving praise to him for all of those things. But none of that is involved right here. What the psalmist is saying is, I simply love God. I got to be around him. What if he doesn't do anything for you? I still got to be around him. That's it. And this is so this is God's presence. This is God's person. This is this is just God, and he's going to get into some struggles. Obviously, verse three, he's talking about his tears and his enemies, and we'll get to that in just a second. But the thing is, you know, in terms of the way that the body works and in terms of the way serving works, and this is the title for this chapter, as you saw, you know, we're looking at the idea of serving. How do I continue to serve God even when I don't feel like it? How do I, you know, sometimes we talk about this idea of maybe burnout or uh, how, how do I just keep going in ministry even when it's hard? Well, let's start with this. If you don't want God, then you also won't want to serve. You will always struggle with service. You will always struggle with sacrifice. You will always struggle with faithfulness. You will always struggle with consistency if you don't simply want the presence of God. And that's because that's who he is. Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven, they're, they're well known. It's simple, but it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. You see, because it's not, it's not easy. It's not natural 
you know, for us in the flesh to serve, to just be a part of a body and to plug in and, and to continue to serve and to go. There are, there are going to be people that frustrate you. There are going to be times that frustrate you and all of that's fine. But the difference is why do some people give up when those difficulties come, when things get hard and when, when it's rough? And the answer is always, always, always related back to this one simple principle because you didn't want God. You didn't pursue God wholly. He wasn't what you woke up thirsting for. I know that word's got some new meaning in our, in our current culture. Thirsting is uh, used quite a bit, and uh, it applies in various ways. Um, we should be thirsting after the Lord, though, with a desire for him. So this is what the psalmist is pouring out in the introdu introduction. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then he asks this question, when shall I come and appear before him? And this is his heart. He's just giving you the, the core of his heart. What he, the only thing he wants, this is his key question. When do I get to be in your presence, Lord? And when you wake up in the morning, is that your first question? When do I get to be in your presence, Lord? Do you, do you plan to be in his presence? Do you, do you build your schedule so that, so that the presence of the Lord is the first thing that you get? So that nothing is going to interrupt that, that time and that opportunity you have to be with the Lord. I try to. I try to get up before everyone else in my family. I try to make sure that I can get with the Lord first. There are days when I wake up and I would say, honestly, I, I, am, I am thirsting for the Lord. My soul wants that. And, and if I'm honest, there's days when I wake up and I'm not. Right? Like that's not the first thing on my heart and the first thing on my mind. And we'll deal with that too here in just a minute. And then there's days where my son decides to wake up super early. And he comes into my office while I'm trying to meet with the Lord. And I'm like, shouldn't you be in bed? And, he, and he's like, yes, but I'm awake. <laughs> so what are you going to do with that now? And then I'm like, man. And that's where I get that feeling. I'm like, I just want the Lord. I love you, son, but I, I really don't want you right now. <laughs> Verse three. And then so he, he shifts gears and he says this, my tears have been my meat day and night. He's, he's talking again about his distress and struggle. So he's weeping continually day and night while they we don't know who the they is but there's a they out there while they continually say unto me where is thy god and so you have this antagonizing enemy here in verse three this enemy that is continually before him continually testing him continually saying and i like that it's this just kind of this nebulous they why because that they is alive in your life as well you have a they you have a they, you have coworkers, you have people in your life, you have somebody out there, if you are following the Lord and engaging with him, that is continually asking you, yeah, but look at the world. How can you say your God is, is real, given what's going on in the world? Well, look at the wickedness of people. Well, why do people suffer? And they come up with all these theological questions and philosophical questions where they just look at your life and they say, look at you. You're struggling. You say God's real, but you're struggling. And we have these antagonizing enemies that are always there if you're out there in the world. And the reality is, and I think this is true right here in this passage as well, is that we also have this internal antagonizing enemy. And that's the real one. That's actually the only one that matters. Because you know, all of those they that are out there, they don't matter except they get inside your head and into your heart until you start taking them home with you. But when you're at home, 
and you're in the quietness of your, your heart and in the quietness of your home and, and, and the privacy where nobody knows your thoughts and you're going, is this for real? God, can you really do these things? Are you really with me like you said? And if we're honest, we all have it. We have this antagonizing enemy and that antagonizing enemy is often found right here for a lot of us. And that's the enemy that's harder to shake. Because I can leave the office and I can, I can turn off the, you know, the, the communications and I don't have to tune in to anybody else. But this one is harder to shut out. And that's the enemy that is continually antagonizing. And the question is simple. Where is God? The prayer and the desire of the psalmist is, I want the presence of the Lord. But the antagonizing enemy, the question that always comes up is, yeah, but is he real? Is he really there? Does he really love you? Where is he in this situation and you can fill in any situation that you want we all have these situations in our life and we go god why is this so hard what is the answer to this and so i i think out of here you get three you get three answers just out of this verse three ways to deal with this problem three solutions uh to this this voice this enemy whether it be internal external to all of them but number one it's do you cry because this was the psalmist's response. I cry. My tears have been my meat day and night. Listen, men especially, it is okay to cry. It is okay to cry out to the Lord and not just in our hearts. You're like, well, I cry internally. I've got to, my, my heart cries to God, but uh, these eyes, they don't cry. Well, this guy's eating tears. Like this is real crying. This isn't, not to minimize your heart crying, I'm sure your heart cries, but you know what? When our inside doesn't move our outside, then it hasn't penetrated good enough. Because the inside should move the outside and it shouldn't be the other way around. We shouldn't let the outside move the inside. So one, do you cry? Don't be afraid to cry when things are hard, cry. Cry to the Lord. Let him know, cry to the Lord, let him see. Let your tears feed you. I poured out my, my tears have been my meat day and night and they continue to bug me. But you know what? I'm going to continue to cry and that's all right. Number two, and this one is a bit of a presumption uh, based on the text, but I think it's a, a reality. Number two is do you fast? My tears have been my meat. This is all that's feeding me right now. When things get really hard, the psalmist is crying, but I think he's also fasting. He's adding fasting to his tears and fasting to his prayer. When you get these doubts inside and you get these enemies without, how do I deal with that? Well, take some time and do a quick study on fasting. We're not going to do it today, but uh, you want to be fasting. You want to be at a place where you are, uh, are setting everything else aside and allowing the spirit to move in you. And number three, do you simply still trust God? Is God enough? And this is the declaration uh, of the psalmist. Verse four, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. It's like, I, you know what? You're my tears, my tears, where are you? But the declaration that he's going to continue to make throughout the psalm is, even though it won't make sense at times, I have to simply trust what God said. Is his word true or not? So we have this key. You already got it. You're already writing it. But honest self-evaluation produces honest honest self-perception. And that's an important part of staying right with the Lord and staying right with the body. 
Because when we're not willing to do honest evaluation, then we're able to lie to ourselves and think we're in a place that we're not. Everything's okay. Well, it's not okay. You're just sweeping it under the rug. I know how I clean my house when company's coming over. Places you're going to go are going to look a lot better than places you're not going to go. There's a reason my bedroom door is shut. There's a reason my office door is shut. You don't need to go in there right now. And you think, you're like, man, those guys, they got their act together. That's just not honest, true evaluation of the situation. And we do it. We close off and we, we wall off and we act like we're going to try to keep God out of certain parts of our life. But what we need is an honest self-evaluation so that we can get an honest self-perception because you can't grow and move forward without an honest self-perception. If you don't know where you're actually at and what the problems really are, then there's no way to actually grow out of those things. That enemy will continually be there until you acknowledge that the enemy is there and we need to work on it. So he gives those answers. You, 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 you pour out your soul. You don't be afraid to be honest. Listen, God can manage your struggles as long as you are willing to be honest with him. He's big enough. Okay. So honest evaluation positions me again to get the right help. This is confession too. And then next verse four, he, he says this, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me for I had gone with the multitude. Now, again, it's kind of a, this general idea, but he's got a multitude. He's got some friends. He's got some people that are around him, verse 4. And I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise and with a multitude that kept holy day. And the next thing that you're going to need also is this. Number one, you need to pour out your soul. But number two, you need this. You need to have right fellowship. Right fellowship is the next answer. Pouring out your soul is the first step. And then right fellowship is the next step. Who are your friends? Who are the people that are, that are around you? Who are the people that get to speak into your life? Who are the voices that you trust? Who do you run to? And here's the key. You must build protection against hard times while you're living in the good times. Sometimes when we're in the good times, we don't think about that. Things are good. So we don't put up the, 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 the right walls or the right, the right protections in place. When things are good, you know what you need to be doing? You need to be building right relationships into your life. You need to have a habit uh, of, of you know, telling people what's going on in your heart and what's going on in your life. Having fellowship with people that will hold you accountable the same way, that aren't afraid to ask you hard questions, especially when you have, you know, and sometimes when we have the right answer, we want to ask people, right? Because I want you to ask me back. I want, I want, I want to tell you what God's been doing like okay brag on god but here's the psalmist struggling and then what he does when he's struggling is he gets around his friends and they're people that keep holiday holy day they're people that go to temple and so they drag him to temple as well when you don't want to get up and join the body when you don't want to be around people when you don't want to get up and come to church you know what you need you need that friend that says hey bro i'm excited to see you this morning it's sunday Let's be there together. And they drag you in. You need someone that's willing to drag your sorry butt out of bed some days, right? You're like, well, I'll just let God do it. Well, 
you will internally, but you already messed up on number one because you weren't honest with your, your, your self-evaluation. So you, you're already kidding yourself. You need a friend who's always going to be honest with you, even when you won't be. So you need to build that in. So here's the, the next key. Right relationships pull you in the right direction. And the other side of that is also true. The wrong relationships will pull you in the wrong direction. And so he gets the right people around him. We must be a body. Uh, it'll, it'll be really hard to serve and to continually serve the Lord and to serve the body if you don't actually enjoy being around the body, if you don't have relationships and fellowships in the body, if you don't have friends in this body, right? If it always feels like uh, it's just some group of strangers that you're a part of, well, that's a problem. Plug in, get to know some people. I would say you want to get to know the people in this fellowship. Beyond that, you want to get to know the broader church body as well. You should be in the main service. You should be there on Tuesday night. You should take advantage of opportunities to get outside of, these aren't really four walls. I was going to say these, these two walls, curtain and open, this, this concept of space and togetherness that we have here. You want to get outside of that and you want to get plugged in with the bigger body as well. When you get down to verse nine, I want us to jump ahead. He makes this declaration. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So he's asking this, these hard questions. And I mentioned earlier the questions, and this is number three in terms of answers. You have to be willing to ask the right questions. And this kind of feeds back to, to pouring out your soul and getting right evaluations but you also that's with yourself but you also need to be honest with god you need to be honest with yourself when you're evaluating but you need to be honest with god and sometimes that means you have to ask these questions that almost almost seem disrespectful or like am i a heretic for asking this like here's the psalmist asking why have you forgotten me god if anyone knows that God cannot forsake or forget, it would be the psalmist. Yet he's willing to cry out and to be honest with God too and say, God, why have you forgotten me? Why am I mourning? Why do the enemies have victory? And those are hard questions, not just for self, but then towards God. But listen, we don't get the right answers from God because we're afraid to ask the right questions. We've got to be willing to ask the right questions of God. And when we struggle, again, this is, and this is the crazy reality of the way that we're made. Does God know? Yeah. Does he know your thoughts already? Yeah. Does he know your heart? Yeah. Does he know your rebellion? Yeah. He already knows all of that. But you know what he wants? He wants you to tell him, even though he knows. He wants you to initiate a conversation with him about it, even though he knows. And that's what's going on here. And this is the next, the next step. So honest, this is, brings us to the next key as well. Honest questions give God space to answer honestly. And this is the feedback that you need the most. You know, and oftentimes the feedback that God gives is simply, I'm here. I'm still me. I'm enough. Remember Job? All these questions he had, 
Then God answers with like 99 more questions. All to prove a point. And then the summary is just like, Job, but I'm here. I got you, right? So that's, you know, that's the, that's the intro. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of how we, how we build. Now, I want to take you real quickly through the rest of the, the chapter. And we're going to pull up the next slide. We're going to look at verses 5 and 11 together. Because verses 5 and 11 are almost identical. And you might have noticed it as I read through. And some of it repeats again uh, in the middle of the chapter as well. But verse 5 and verse 11. So verse 5 starts, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Verse, I'm sorry, verse 12. I've been saying 11. I meant 12. Is that right? Which one do I want? It's 11. I'm wrong up here. I'm wrong in here. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm riding wrong. This is 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? The exact same start next. And why art thou disquieted in me? And why art thou disquieted within me? So again, almost identical. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Verse 11. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Identical. And then the, the ending is where you get this shift. And I think this is what really bookends this chapter. For it, the help of his countenance, who is the health of my countenance and my God. And I think really what this chapter does is it takes you from help to health. Okay? It gives you the exact same lead in the same intro. And then he goes at the beginning, I'm looking, I'm looking for help. And at the end, I found health. So you want to get from, from help, from needing and desiring help to a place where you are then healthy. Well, this is your chapter. You just dive in here. Now I'm just going to give you a quick, a quick look at it. There's a lot in this chapter. I mean, the intro gave us a lot of good help already, but let's just work through the, the main part of this. So he takes us from help to health and he throws this idea of hope in there as well. And you heard Rosie singing about it because he also uh, mentions that this idea uh, of hope here in this chapter as well. But he says this, there, he gives us two truths about God. I just want to give you two truths about God that come out of this chapter. Number one, his, his presence should help me. It's simple. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a truth about God that is unchanging. His presence should help me. And this is where he is in, in, in verse 5. Where he's crying out and he says, for, the summary on verse 5 is, For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. His countenance, the countenance of God is the person of God. The, you know, more than just, uh, you know, like. It's his presence. It's his, the way he comes into my life. When God comes in, there should be help. Like if the presence of God is not, is not helpful in my daily life, the problem isn't that, that God can't do it. The problem is that he's probably not present, and that's on you. You probably haven't brought him and invited him in. You probably haven't let him in. Again, back to that idea of talking to him about the struggles. And then truth number two is this. His presence should be helped to my countenance. Like if when you walk around and, and you look at, you know, if everyone who looks at you is like, man, that guy is always downtrodden. Sourpuss. I think that's how the psalmist would have written it today. He would have written sourpuss. 
And he probably would have written a bunch of names by it. And then later would have been like, I got to erase that. This is going to last forever. Cause he's like, I know some, but all of you do too. You can look around in this room or maybe around this church, you know, around people just in your broader life. And you go, man, that, that person is just like, uh, just like it's, they got a pocket full of scowls and it's like, what do you got over here? You know, everything's it's all the time. Look, if Christ is in your life, if you are wearing Christ, if you have put on a new creature, if you have put on Christ, then your countenance should change. And it should be healthy, no matter what's going on. And that doesn't mean you need to fake it and hide your struggles. No, I already told you, bring out your struggles. But in your struggles, you can still have a countenance of joy. You can still demonstrate a healthy countenance, even when it's hard. So his presence ought to lead us to the place where our countenance is changed. and We find health. Why are thou cast down? Oh, my soul. He begins to ask a, you know, a number of questions. Really, in 5 through 11, you get a bunch of questions. But he takes this pause right in the middle. Uh, where, he, where he stops asking questions, but he does ask a, a, you know, quite a few questions, but he decides anyway to praise. Verse five, yet shall I praise him, even when it's hard, even when the enemy's still there, even when there's doubts. And this is key. This is going to be key to overcoming these struggles. How do I get a healthy countenance? Well, actually, it, it comes from his presence and, and from praise. When I make praise a, a practice in my daily life, It's going to change your countenance. I can see it in, in myself. I can see it in my family. I can see it in my children. I can see when, and if I'm being honest, I can see when I'm not leading us in praise. That's what it'll come back to. Because my kids are, give me a second, are young, okay? Um, well, they're what? 11, 9, and 7. 11, 9, and 7. I, I know that. And, uh, you know, they're coming into this stage where they're kind of owning a little bit their own spiritual growth, but mostly it's on me. And when they struggle, it's because I'm struggling because I didn't, I didn't lead them into praise. But when we praise, when we're, when we're a house of worship, their countenance is different. Their countenance is different. And that's true of my wife. Husbands, this is true of our wives, for all of us. Even when you're married to somebody who turns psalms into songs and who sings on a stage and is a worshiper, right? Like she's, she's built for, for that. You guys know that she's built for that. But if she's not praising and if her countenance is down, there's a good chance that's on me. I have to lead her in worship. And y'all are like, but James, you can't even sing. You can't play an instrument. You're all right. That's true. Elders choir coming up at Mission Focus. That's why they put me in a choir and they put the microphone with Jeff Grasher. And then I stand like three people away. You don't have to hear. But it's a heart. I've decided that I'm going to praise anyway. When? Uh, well, whenever and all, all the time. So is God's presence my help? And then he, and then he, as you work through, you know, another important, I'll just 
give this to you real quick. Another important thing that comes out of here is do you set up memorials? And David discusses that, you know, he takes this pause from asking questions uh, kind of in the middle, deep crieth unto, uh, calleth unto deep, verse seven, and yet the Lord will command his loving kindness, verse eight, uh, verse nine, I will say unto God, my rock, and then he goes back to uh, asking some questions. I'm sorry, everyone to verse six. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. So he's talking about things that God has done in the past. I'll remember you from Jordan, from the Hermonites, from the Hill of Mizar, and without diving into it. He's just thinking back about God's faithfulness and the things that God has done in the past. Do you have a habit of setting up, um, you know, memorials in your life? Because men of God did. They'd build up a little altar. They'd set up a pile of stones. They'd cross uh, the river and they'd, they'd take some stones. And these were things that they could always look back on. Do you keep a journal? Do you keep a, you know, like a, a, a log of answered prayer? Do you let God speak? And then, and then you come back to those times when it's difficult, when it's hard and it feels like God isn't there and isn't answering prayer. Well, look back, look at the testimony of your life. I think it's a cane song where they sing, um, how's it go? You know, it. you know what I'm thinking? I need to take a drink. Hmm? Yes, he did. So yes, he can. You heard that one? It's on the radio. That's one of the lines from it. But I love it because it's true. How do I know he can? Because he did. I don't know he can deliver me from this because he has. Even if it wasn't me, he did it to someone else. You're not in something that he hasn't already done. He's delivered. So set up some memorials. And he, yeah, so he asks a bunch of questions, but he pauses in verse six. No questions, just declarations. God is still good. Verse seven. You know, it, it, it's, it's reminiscent of Jonah's cry in, verse, in chapter 2 of Jonah, where he's dead and, and crying out, being overwhelmed by the deep. So he gets desperate. He's crying out, uh, I'm going to be destroyed. But he comes out of it, and he comes back, and he finishes up uh, with asking questions. Uh, and he still says hard things like, you know, there's a sword in my bones, verse 10, and my enemies have reproached me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And he comes to this conclusion, for I shall yet praise him. Once again, he comes back to the same conclusion in verse 11. I'm going to praise him. And he makes a declaration because he is the health of my countenance and my God. When it seems like every other, you know, character of who he is, is distant, is he still your God? Does he still get to be that? All right, so I want to stop us here, and here's what I want us to do. We got about 10 minutes, and I want us to get into some small groups, and I want you to take Psalm 42, and then I want you to grab Psalm 63, okay? Read through Psalm 63 and start making some comparisons and look at them. I gave you a number of questions to ask, but I also want you guys, maybe from the honesty of your heart, maybe from what you're seeing in the scripture, to write out questions too that you can ask, questions that you can ask yourself to keep you on track, right? When things are rough, when I don't feel like serving, when I don't feel like coming and being a part of the body, when I don't feel like God is with me, well, what do I rely on, right? Questions like, well, who are my, who are my friends, right? We asked that question earlier. Uh, those types of things, all right? So make a group. If you're new here, don't be intimidated by this. Just get in a, a group that's a little bit bigger and let somebody else do all of the work. If you don't feel comfortable speaking, you don't have to speak. 
right? Uh, but you can read Psalm 63. Everyone can at least do that. And you can listen in on the conversations because, uh, you know, God gives me things to say, but I think that when we have the chance to just talk in a, in a smaller group, God's going to give you things from your, from your peers as well. Does that all make sense? You can move the chairs. We can just get into some groups, maybe three or four groups. They can be kind of big groups. We can read through and then make sure anyone who wants to speak has an opportunity. So I know some of you, you like to speak. You're the other side. Don't dominate. Okay, don't dominate. Let everyone jump in. Hallelujah. <laughs> 